morning, church. In 1 Corinthians 1, God speaks to us in his word. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Abby. Morning. Holiday, man. I'm with you, dude. I'm with you. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, it's good to see everybody always. Hey, college students, real quick. I want to give you, I want to invite you to something. Um, if you have your phone, if you have a notepad, um, I don't know if you came in here with a notepad, but maybe your phone, or maybe you just have a great memory. Hey, write this email address down, shawneecollege at frontlinechurch.com. That's shawneecollege at frontlinechurch.com. Shawneecollege at frontlinechurch.com. And I want, want to give you uh, access to that. If you're a college student, man, we're going to be doing um, a couple times a month. We're going to be just kind of meeting together to hang out, eat together. Um, we really want to provide um, a place for you guys, um, a couple of houses, a couple of homes in Shawnee that you can kind of call yours. Uh, you can call not your literal home, but there are already people that own those homes. But uh, people in our church that really want to serve you guys, provide a place for you to do laundry, provide a place for you to hang out twice a month on a Sunday night. So if you'll email that, we'll give you all the information that we can. And just be paying attention. If you have any questions about what we do with college students here, man, we would love to answer those. So uh, keep that email handy and email that address, and we'll keep you informed. All right. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Ben. I get to serve as the lead pastor here. I am one of two elders, uh, me and the guy that you just met, Pat. We are two elders here um, on the ground in Shawnee, but we're two of many church-wide. And we are preaching through a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians. We just started last week, and it was a long sermon. I'm going to try to make this one not quite as long, but my goodness, there's a lot going on in this book. Let me catch you up real quick the best I can. Paul is an apostle of God, which means this. God is using this man, Paul, to write to and help grow churches in this time, in this day and age, in Bible times. Paul would write letters to these churches that would be located in cities. Uh, the city of Ephesus, the city of Galatia, the city of Corinth. And there were churches in those towns. And so how you get all of these weird names for the books of the Bible are those were actually letters written to the people in Ephesus, the church there. Well, the name of the book is called Ephesians or Colossae. The name of that book is called Colossians. And the same thing with Corinthians. We're about to study a book of the Bible, but it's really, it's a letter that God wrote through Paul to his church to help them know him more, to help them learn how to live, learn how to live in the town, 
or if there were issues that came up in the church, they would write these letters to them. Paul's writing to the, first, to the Corinthians, and this is one of probably about five letters. We have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Um, the other three letters, we don't have. We don't know what they said, but we know that they were written, okay? So here's what's happening in Corinth, why Paul had to write to them. First off, Corinth is a major city. In biblical times, it's a trade city. How a, how a city became major was that it became a, 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 either a port or a, an intersection of trade routes. And Corinth is interesting because um, with the Greeks, it was a massive city like years and years before this book was written. But then the Romans came in and they overthrew the Greeks. And the city of Corinth lay dormant forever, like a hundred years. There was, it was a ghost town. Well, again, because of the location, Caesar, the Roman ruler, said, we need this spot. So he actually sent freedmen, former Roman slaves, to go and inhabit this place and called it Corinth. He resurrected a city. Well, because it's a trade route and because of its location, it grew massive. This city became huge. One author said, at the same time, it was New York, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles, all in the same town. Corinth was crazy. All types of food and people and spirituality and religion and all types of craziness. Corinth is the type of place that you would go on vacation, but you don't take your family to Corinth. You know what I'm saying? Corinth is the what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth kind of place. They loved spirituality, they loved religion, but they also loved pleasure. And they loved both so much that they combined the two. So much so that there were 26 temples in Corinth, 26 solely dedicated to the many gods. Now there were lots of other temples, but 26 were dedicated to whatever you feel like worshiping today, whoever you wanna be today, you can come on into the many gods temple. As a matter of fact, they combined pleasure with spirituality so much so that they actually had prostitutes inside of temples. Let me just get that in your head. Multiple temples on the temple staff were sex workers. This place was messed up. It was messed up, man, it was convoluted. Spirituality, but no conviction. Nobody really worshiping anything concrete. Nobody saying no to anything. There was one rule in Corinth, and it was this. You do what you want. I'm going to do what I want. And don't tell me what to do. 26 temples to the gods of many, whatever the flavor of the day is, that's what you do. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. I mean, that was really what was going on. Inside Corinth, you have a church that's planted so now a church is different. A church is a people within a people. It's the people of God. They carry different convictions. They surrender their life to Jesus. They now follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, the early Christians, the name of the church, the whole church around the world, was called the way because they were people that believed that there was only one way to God. That was Jesus. So Paul plants via God, God tells him in Acts 
There are many in this town who are my people. Paul plants a church of the way of Jesus, and they're supposed to be a countercultural. They're supposed to give something different than just a free-for-all, just not some sort of like spiritual and pleasure-filled buffet. It's like, no, you follow Jesus. Jesus bought you. You're going to be a people within the people. You're supposed to be a people that are in the town for sure. Be in the city. Don't neglect the city. Don't isolate. Don't be scared of culture around you, but you shouldn't be of the city. Do you understand the difference? Being in a place, but not being of it. And what had happened in Corinth, Paul heard about when he left them. He spent a year and a half with them. When he left them, what had happened was, is they were now becoming of the city as opposed to just in. What I mean by is this. Their job as the church was to disciple, to give a better way to point people to Jesus. That was their job, is to evangelize, if, you know, if you're familiar with that word. And what was happening was the church was being evangelized by the world. They were being formed by the world. So Paul has to perk up. He sends them letters. That's the overview of the Corinthian church. There was crazy stuff happening in this church, man. I mean... Sexual immorality, temple prostitutes within the church. Think about that. There was all kinds of just crazy ideas. Church services would have been crazy. I mean, actually, Corinthians were known to just how wild their church services would get. They were worshiping angels. I mean, worshiping like worshiping the spiritual gifts in a way that was idolatry. There was chaos. They would, they would actually stand up in the church service and they would try to talk over each other and they would try to prove how much more they knew about God, the Holy Spirit, than you. Because watch me speak in tongues or anything else that would freak everybody else in this room out today. Talking over each other, no interpretation. Then the one that always gets me is they were getting drunk at the communion table. I don't even know how long you have to take communion to get drunk at the communion table, but it's probably three, four hours in at that point. They were celebrating this idea of freedom. There was a man who was sleeping with his stepmom in the church. And not only did they not hold him accountable, they actually kind of celebrated. They said, look at us. Aren't we gracious? Don't we understand grace more than anyone else? All of that stuff was happening in the church in Corinth. Pick any one of those things, and if I'm in charge of that church, if I'm Paul, I told the, the, the church last week, I, there'd be one letter with three words. It is over, period. Just going ahead and pack it up. We're not doing potluck anymore. We ain't hanging out no more. We ain't, ain't no more church. Don't even show up here at no kind of certain time. It's a done deal. Y'all are crazy. That would have been my response to them. But I love how Paul addresses them to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. This crazy place, Paul says, hey, you forgot who you are. You are a Christian. I know it's crazy, but you're a Christian. Right after this, Paul says, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. Of All of those sins, of all those things that Paul could have majored on right away, there is one thing 
that's so crucial. He mentions, you're a Christian, I thank God for you, but there's something I have to talk about right away, and it's not drunkenness at the table, it's not sexual immorality, it's this one thing, and it's important. I'm gonna ask you to perk up and pay attention the rest of the way. Be active listeners today, because this thing is a threat to the church. It's this, division. Division. Paul says, I love you, Christ loves you, I'm thankful for you, okay, let's get to something. I'm hearing something that is unsettling, that is a threat to the church, that there are divisions among you. They are loved by God, they are loved by Paul, and Paul loves them because they're loved by God and he cannot delay. This is critical. This one moment when Paul calls out these divisions, it serves as the catalyst, the anchor to every other thing that's happening in the church. Literally, everything will come back to this. Drunkenness at the table, sexual immorality, all of it points to one thing. The root of it all is division. You are divided. You're divided among yourselves, and you're also divided with Jesus, you're, you're divided as Christians. You should be united, but you're not. Division is the most major problem in Corinth. Everything else is a symptom of that. So we gotta talk about this today. Paul is writing to the church, to Christians. Paul is writing to the people that showed up on Sunday. So I'm telling you, as the people that showed up here today, you need this today, and so do I. So let's jump in, take notes. It'll be on the screen if you need to. First thing I want you to see this, division, it's so important, it's so crucial, it requires an appeal, not a suggestion. Division requires an appeal, not a suggestion. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. I appeal, he says, this is not simply a suggestion. I'm not just trying to suggest to you my thoughts or my hot takes on how you should live, live your life. As a matter of fact, we've gotten past the point of commandment. You know it's a command to be unified. What I'm trying to do at this point is I'm appealing. This is me, this is me grabbing you by the shoulders. This is me with passion saying, listen to me. You're about to ruin it all. I'm appealing to you that there be no divisions among you. And then he says, brothers, I appeal to you, brothers. He reminds them, you're the family of God. You are bought. You belong to something other than yourself. You forgot that. But you are family. It's interesting to think about how loyal we are with our blood family. Um, man, I've seen people act a fool over their blood brothers and sisters. I mean, totally throw out virtue, just go against the law, you know, just to be loyal to them. And what's funny about it, I've, I've done this. I'd be fighting with my brother in the back car, you know, on the way somewhere. We fought all week long. But when somebody else comes in here and starts messing with him, I might hate his guts. I might have just told him I hate his guts. But if somebody else messes with him that's not blood-related, it's about to be on. <laughs> it's kind of interesting how the Bible describes our brotherhood and our sisterhood in the gospel. Here's the reality, is that you may have blood brothers, blood sisters right now. It's good to be loyal to them, 
But on an eternal level, if they don't know Jesus and you do, you actually have more in line, you actually have more blood in common with the person you've never met across the world who is saved than you do your own blood relatives on earth. True family is family in Christ. That's eternal family. What Paul is saying is, family of God, you forgot. You belong to each other. You belong to the Lord. You've been bought. He says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are unified in Christ. We're not unified in Paul. We're not unified in me or by you. It's not, we're not the, we're not creating unity. Unity is created in us by Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not your job to create unity. It's your job to fight to maintain it. Ephesians 4 says it this way. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I'm going to say it again. Eager to maintain the unity. The word here is to fight for unity. We don't create it. We don't manifest it. Just because you are saved by Jesus, you are unified under him. Later in Ephesians 4, the next two verses, there is one body and one spirit just as you are called the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Paul says, um, that all of you agree, I appeal to you that all of you agree that there be no divisions. There's two terms you gotta pay attention to here. The word agree is a term used to describe political, where there be political divisions, people would finally come, to, come together and say, I finally believe everything you do about politics in this day. That word is agree. Paul says, I my prayer, I'm appealing to you to agree on the things that matter by the name of the Lord Jesus. Agree on the gospel. You've divided on this major issue. I need you to agree. And then the word divisions, it's where we get the word schism from, which means a separation. If you know anything about church history, you are familiar with the term schism. It means a tear, a rip, a dividing line where one road was going one direction. There's only one road. There's no other road to go down. A schism is a tear right down the middle of that road. Now we have a fork in the road and we go to different places. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no forks in the road. There be no divisions among you. Paul's telling them, stop tearing the fabric of the church. Stop it. Stop creating different roads to follow Jesus that lead away from Jesus, actually, and lead away from each other. There's one body, one Lord, one spirit, one baptism, one faith. I want to be careful to make sure that you understand what Paul is not doing here. Paul is not vying for uniformity. Paul is not saying that you should agree and therefore you should all have the same opinions and you should all have the same personality, and you should all like the same things, and be close to the same age, and have the same number of kids, or that's not what Paul's doing. The reason I know that is because later in Corinthians, Paul says, 
Everybody here in the church has a different place. You're all members of the same body, but you have a different function. One's a hand, one's an arm, one's a foot, but members of the same body. Paul, just like the rest of the gospels, just like the rest of the church, would celebrate in a church different types of people. It's not uniformity, but it is harmony. We want to think the same, be of the same mind, believe the same. Philippians 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Listen to this. This is harmony. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. I love it. Division in the church had little to do with their different personalities, but had everything to do with what they forgot about themselves, and that is that they are Christians. That's our unifying thought. You belong to Christ, and so do I. And ultimately, division in the church was due to really one thing, which all division comes back to, all disunity comes back to, and it comes back to self-absorption through pride. Source of division is always pride. Verse 11, for it has been reported to me that Chloe's people, uh, by Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, this is kind of funny, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So here's what's happening is Chloe is a businesswoman who is probably not a Christian. She actually lives in Ephesus, but she has dealings with people in Corinth. Paul is currently in Ephesus, this town where he's writing to the Corinthian church. The disunity in the church in Corinth is so bad that the not church member, Chloe, finds out about it and feels like she's got to go tell the pastor. That's bad. Which, by the way, we are crazy to think that what happens in the church doesn't affect the world around us. It does. People are watching us, even that they might hate us, but they're watching us for our unity. Chloe comes and tells Paul that. He's shocked by it. He says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. So let's talk about these four men real quick. Paul is the church planter, the one who planted Corinth. He's uh, the Jewish historian. Lots of knowledge about the law, about Jews, about um, Moses about any of the Pentateuch, Paul knew all about it. However, Paul was not a great public speaker. That's just kind of known throughout the New Testament. He's not a guy that would be able to wow you with his articulation. I can relate, Paul. And then there's Apollos. Apollos was a pastor of the church as well. He visited Corinth, spent a lot of time with them. Apollos, though, studied in Alexandria. He would have been one of the smarter dudes of the four, next to Jesus. (laughs) Apollos was known to be a very gifted orator, a very gifted preacher. Apollos would stand up, he would wow you with his articulation. Paul, not very good. Apollos, incredible. And then there's, of course, Cephas, which stands for Peter. Peter, the disciple of Jesus who walked with him. And then the ultimate one-upper, this, is, this would have been me, by the way. Had I been in a church and people would have been saying, 
well, I follow this guy, I follow this guy. I'd have probably just walked right up to the circle and said, I follow Jesus, suckers. The ultimate one-upper. You can follow that man, you can follow this man. I follow the only perfect one. I follow Jesus. How is it that you can say that you follow Jesus, but it's leading to division? Reading this, you might think, what's wrong with following those guys? They're pretty good guys, gospel-centered guys. They're Bible guys. They sound like good guys to follow. But here's the problem, is they were exchanging the leaders and the people they had right around them for those men who actually didn't live with them at all. Now, why is that a problem? Here's why. Because Paul and Apollos and Peter, they had no idea what these people were really like. Paul had to learn from a businesswoman. We feel that in our church today. It'd be a lot easier for us to listen to podcast preacher and to feel great about ourselves, but it's tough for us to root ourselves in a community that knows our stuff and knows our struggle and knows our marriage issues and knows what we fight against. And usually what happens is we get right up to the place where we're about to grow and we get the seven-year itch. And then we leave because... We're frustrated that we haven't turned out to be perceived as perfect as we want to be perceived. And what was happening in this church happens here as we go to other pastors, we go to other preachers, which, listen, I'm not telling you, I, you should listen to other preachers, that's fine. You should read what they write maybe even, but not in exchange for the ones that you have right here, right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? It does you no good to keep hopping from one place to the next. What does us the most good is to be rooted in a community of people and to let them get to know you so that they can bear your burdens, so they can also help you follow Jesus. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow. Even to say I follow Jesus. Even to say that, it's like we're all followers of Jesus, there's no doubt about it. But I have met, and there might be some people in the room today, especially in this part of the world, that people say, I don't need other people, actually. I don't even need the church. I'm just going to follow Jesus on my own in my house. I'm going to do church there. I'm going to do... What's interesting about this is Jesus himself said that he is the head of the body. How can you say you follow the head of the body, but it's detached from the rest of the body? That doesn't make sense. We actually need each other to follow Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That's the problem that's happening here. They don't submit themselves to each other. And actually what has happened, and it always happens this way, is they've used other people that are great godly men to cause now division in the church, even using Jesus to do that. What's happening also, too, is another cultural piece. It's, I told you that in Corinth, they should have been discipling the world around you, them, but the world was discipling them. What you had at that moment, that time, was a group of people who would travel from town to town, and they would debate each other, or they would speak, and these people were called sophists, sophists. And actually, they would be graded, they would be judged on how articulate they were, how smart they were, how wise they were. And then they would start to build these followings. 
And people would gather around these sophists and they would say, well, I belong to that one or I belong to that one or I belong to this one. I mean, kind of think of it as a modern day influencer. As silly as I sound just now saying that out of my mouth. The whole point of these people was to sound like they knew something that you needed and to build a follower base. I mean, my goodness, that's no real offense to any influencers in the room. I, don't, I can't imagine being in this room today, but, but isn't that the point? <laughs> that's what they were doing. So now that's infiltrated the church. Instead of I submit my life to this group of people, I'm on my way to follow Jesus, but I haven't arrived there quite yet. I, I want to keep working towards glorified me. I'm just going to say I belong to this person and this person and this person, and it was creating a dividing line of schism, of fracture in the church. And Paul comes along and says, I'm worried, man, Chloe's telling me there's division and we're one body we're one spirit we're one mind we're one faith we're one baptism that's what we are there's many members there's one body it's not just these sophists though it's not just I follow this person I follow this person again the whole of Corinthians really this is the base note for all of what else is happening. Every other major sin in the church comes back to this. There are divisions among you. So it's their attitude toward each other. It's their skepticism of each other. It's their judgment of each other. It's their assigned motives of each other. It's the avoidance of each other. It's talking over each other in worship. It's all based around pride. I am who I am. You be who you are. Don't tell me otherwise, and I won't tell you otherwise, but just know that I've actually got this figured out a little better than you do. Pride is the source of all division. Pride says, I don't need actual pastors. I don't need people with heartbeats. I don't need people that know me. I don't need actual leaders. I don't need community. I just need me, Jesus, And influencers. <laughs> whatever podcast preacher, whatever type of person that takes your most attention, look, I'm, again, I'm telling you, those are good to listen to, but when you get to a place where you don't need the people that are in your life, that's the check engine light. That's the warning sign. You are right on the cusp of causing major fractures in your own heart, but also division in the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to outdo one another in showing honor. We have to submit one to another. There's a few practical things that I think we need to look at today that are warning signs for the Corinthian church. I mean, they'd already passed it, but might be warning signs for us today in the church. Pride is at the core of me first religion and disunity. Here are some of the warning signs. Do we struggle with, do we assign motives? Do we struggle trusting each other? Do we struggle to give our lives away to each other? 
Are we building our lives around affinity groups? I just want to only hang out with people that are my age, have my similar experience, like all the things that I like, and hate all the things that I hate, and are always free and available when I'm free and available. When we don't give people the benefit of a doubt, when we don't know or do our lives with people that don't look like us. This is why for us in community groups, they're not affinity groups. They're not just groups that are based on your age and your mode or just whatever you love in life. These are, we want our community groups to be all types of people, singles, young, old, married, kids, not kids, whatever. We stop talking to each other. We stop bearing each other's burdens. We stop hashing out our grievances with each other. We hold on to things. I mean, these are all warning signs of division. When we disregard the people around us, when we disregard pastors around us for whatever's on social media, when authors and influencers carry more weight than the people sitting next to you. We stop trusting people. And they're not like us. We stop pursuing relationship. And we start to see people as the enemy because they don't look, act, think, and vote like us. Man, we are, those are warning signs for division. Division is mentioned often in the Bible. As a matter of fact, there are three major sins in the New Testament. One is false teaching. Another is sexual immorality, and the third is division. Kind of interesting. Put it in that category. This is a serious deal. Unity is something that we are commanded to fight for, to be eager to maintain. So what do we do? (laughs) What's the remedy for this thing? What do we look out for? It's this. There's one remedy. One remedy to division. One thing that holds unity together, and it's the gospel. It's the gospel. And I know that's a buzzword. I know that probably we need to let that word sink into us a little more, but it really is the gospel. And what I mean by this is when we forget just exactly what has happened to our soul, that you were dead in your trespasses, that you were dead in sin, but God came in and made you alive. That's the gospel. And so now you're actually unified with the person next to you who God has also made alive. If we can just get back to that, believing and trusting that in our heart, that changes everything. That creates unity in us. That gives us brotherhood and sisterhood. That helps us to see people as something other than just opposition. They're my brother. They're my sister. Paul says it this way. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you. Moving down. Verse 17, I love this. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Do you remember us talking about those sophists? They loved it. The more articulate, the more wise you sounded, the more I'm kind of like on your team. Paul says, none of that. Christ is the one who sent me to preach the gospel to you, not so that you can be impressed with me. And he goes on to say, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I love this. Paul doesn't rise up and defend himself. 
He doesn't see the need. What he does, what every good pastor should do, what he does is point them to Jesus. He knows that Jesus is what they need the most. Jesus is the tie that binds for unity in the church. And when we start to be disunified, when we start to be divided, it's because we have forgotten Jesus. There's no doubt. Christ is the mediator between us and God, but Christ is also the mediator between you and the person next to you. He's the one that ties up unity together as brothers and sisters. How many of you in this room have had uh, relational fractures? How many of you in this room have something that was very petty Started out small, but just grew to this place and you never did address it. How many of this room got your feelings hurt? Somebody didn't, didn't do something to you or did do something to you or whatever it is. And I, listen to me, I'm not talking about the level of abuse, man. My heart is with you. That's a whole different ballgame. What I'm talking about is just between friends. And it just kept growing. The fracture kept growing and growing and growing. Maybe even in the church. How many of us in this room have experienced that? I have. And when I get to a sermon like this, when I start to think about what Jesus has done and the reality of the gospel of God, it all of a sudden starts to change my perspective. I get a little bit less petty. You know what I'm saying? I start to think, man, maybe this has gotten a little too familiar with me. Maybe what I need is to be reminded of how crazy this news is that God saved you to the uttermost and that you are forever saved in him. Maybe I just need a reminder that that person is too and we, we can, of course, work it out, whatever it is. That's unity in the church. There's only one thing, there's only one remedy for division and that's the gospel of Jesus. It's what Paul has to offer them. And here's what he says to them, and here's what he would say to us today, and I would say to you. That you all, every single one of you, have forgotten maybe just exactly what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection. That Jesus, listen to this, that Jesus did not factor in your intelligence level he didn't factor in your personality. Jesus didn't factor in your upbringing. He also didn't factor in the measure of sin in your life on his way to the cross. The only thing that he factored in was his goodness, his power, and his love for you. Now, I want you to take that information and think about the gravity of that compared to the pettiness of our fractures. How we fight for unity in the church is remember Jesus. How we fight against division, remember Jesus. How we mend relationships, remember Jesus. Gospel is the root of it all. We're gonna remember Jesus right now by coming to the table. Please stand. If you're serving, go ahead and come forward.